For the News & Observer and NC Insider, I'm Brian Murphy, your host for this episode of Under the Dome. It's Monday, December 13th. I'm joined today by the News & Observer's Will Doran to discuss the latest redistricting news, and boy, there is a lot of it. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Will. Thanks for having me. Yes, there's a lot of news going on. (laughs) let's, Let's dive in. Uh, last week, um, we'll start at the end, I guess. Last week, the Supreme Court um, made a ruling, you know, delaying the primary from March 8th to May 17th and suspending the filing period. Um, the, the reason basically given is they want to let all of these court cases, challenges to the new maps play out first uh, rather than have sort of a disjointed process. So they'll have the lower court trial and all the appeals and and make a decision Um maybe sometime early early next year. Is that your reading of it? Yes. The Supreme Court wants this to happen very fast, which is a huge difference from previous redistricting lawsuits that we've had here over the decades. I mean, usually these things take years to wrap up. Um, the, the 2019 lawsuit we had was uh, an aberration in that it went so quickly. Um, but, you know, the, the 2011 maps, they weren't ruled unconstitutional and redrawn until 2016, 2017, you know, that, that lawsuit took five years to play out. Um, and this time they're saying, nope, y'all have one month to finish the trial. And, you know, then we're going to also expedite the appeals process after that to, you know, they, they didn't explicitly say this in their ruling, but it seems that, and I mentioned this in my article on this last week, it seems that the intention is to, get the case before the Supreme Court uh, to rule on potentially in time for the primaries in May so they can decide if they want to force the maps to be redrawn or not. There there definitely seems to be a sense of urgency here that has not really been in the courts in the past for redistricting or really any other topic. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's so much to unpack. I think a couple of things. Uh, the, the executive director of the state board uh, in her affidavit in this case said um, that, you know, March, May 17th was the final date they could have the primary and still, you know, run the elections like they want to run them, get absentee ballots out on time and have a second primary if needed and, and get to the general. Um, and so that date wasn't pulled out of thin air that, that came from the state board. Um, the second thing I would say is that the, you know, I covered the, the lower court, uh, hearing, and again, th- these aren't even hearings on the on the case. I think that's that's really clear. These aren't case uh, hearings on the constitutionality of the districts. These have simply been cases or hearings, uh, rulings in the Supreme Court's case on whether or not to to stop filing and whether or not to to delay the primary. That that's all that we've been. All these court cases have been about so far. I covered the the initial case in the lower court, and they talked about how quick the whole process was. That uh, one of the lawyers for for the state legislature was complaining that oh, we only got these documents a couple of days ago, and and surely Judge Shirley was kind of went out of his way to be like, hey, we're <laughs> we're only working on this timeline because the lawmakers decided that they had to keep the primary on March eighth. Um, and so he kind of called them out saying, we wouldn't be on this process if you guys had pushed back the primaries. And now the Supreme Court has kind of done that work for them by pushing back the primaries. Well, and we should note that, you know, this isn't a, a complete surprise. I mean, you know, here in North Carolina, judges are all elected. And that's not to say that their decisions are entirely based on politics. But, you know, it's kind of impossible to avoid the fact that you have, you know, 
judges who have to run for election as Republicans or run for election as Democrats. A lot of them, you know, have served in political office themselves, like in the state legislature prior to becoming judges. Um, and, you know, we saw during redistricting Democrats saying in the legislature, hey, we should go ahead right now and move the primaries back to May. Um, I mean, that came up in October, you know, two months ago. <laughs> there were Democrats saying, you know, hey, we're, we should take more time on this um, and, and move them back. And, you know, Republicans were not interested, but now the Supreme Court has made them do that anyways. Right. We should point out the Supreme Court has four Democrats and three Republicans. I'd love to tell you how they all voted. Uh, that is not public information, um, which is, is absolutely stunning to me. Um, nor is it public information how the 15-member the appellate court voted. Nor is it public information how the, the three-judge panel uh, of appellate court judges voted. Um, or, or who was even on that panel. We, we don't even know the three judges that heard that case. I mean, this is... Uh, there has been a surprising lack of transparency here. Because, I mean, on normally on you know any regular appellate court ruling you, you know who the judges are who rule on a case you know how they ruled you know whether they were in the majority or the minority whether it was unanimous or not but you're right we don't have any of that information on this and i've, I've asked the the courts uh, if they'll give us some of that because uh, the the lack of transparency does seem a, a little strange um so you know who knows by the time people listen to this podcast here uh in the future from when we're recording it maybe that information will be out uh, but yeah it's it has been weird but you know again going back to the the politics of the court you know the the court of appeals ruled for the republican lawmakers and the court of appeals has a republican majority then the Supreme Court, which has a Democratic majority, ruled in favor of the Democratic challengers. So, again, we don't know exactly how the vote went, but, you know, it, it does line up with the, the partisan control of the courts. And the lower court, which was a three-judge panel, had two Republicans and one Democrat, and they ruled in favor of the Republicans or, or the Republican position in, in that. Um, let, let's just take a step back. So the, these... These maps for the U.S. House, the, the North Carolina House, and the North Carolina Senate were drawn largely by Republicans. They were approved by Republicans. All the Democrats voted against them. Um, the governor plays no role in the redistricting process, so the maps were just done. And then there were two cases filed, um, both alleging a partisan gerrymander. Um, there was a case by the North Carolina League of Conservation Voters and then a case um, that's called Harper brought on the on behalf of a of a citizen of a North Carolina citizen um, that uh, the, the, some big name Democrats are involved in that's the Mark Elias group is involved in that they sort of got the, both cases kind of got mashed together at the at the hearing I was at they heard both of them at the same time issued one ruling they're both kind of seeking the same relief in many ways a delay of the primaries and um, and and a pushing back of uh, of the filing period now those cases will actually get a, a full trial or, or a very ex expedited trial. What, what do you think, and you've covered this really well, what, what do you think are the major issues that are going to come up in that trial? And, and as you mentioned earlier, are we just going to end up back at the Supreme Court again in, in January or February? Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question. I think there's going to be, uh, obviously, several big issues. Uh, what, what I foresee is kind of being the big fight is uh, basically where the burden of proof is. And, you know, 
this is getting in a little bit into the weeds here. <laughs> you know, we're, we're on a, Under the Dome podcast. <laughs> if you're listening, you're probably in the weeds a little bit with us. Um, but the GOP position uh, that we saw in some court filings uh, that they had Wednesday, last Wednesday, was that it doesn't matter if the maps are skewed for Republicans. The challengers have to prove that Republicans intentionally skewed them. And Republican lawmakers were very careful throughout the entire process to say, we didn't use any political data and to just basically refuse to engage in any sort of discussion or debate on the, you know, the actual partisan splits in the maps saying, well, I, I can't comment on that, you know, because we didn't use any political data. So they just really were very careful to completely avoid that topic completely. And so now they're you know, in court and saying, you know, well, you know, prove it. <laughs> you know, like, and, and obviously the other side is going to try to say, look, these maps are ridiculously skewed. Uh, you know, they give the GOP a huge advantage to win majorities, even if they don't win a majority of the vote. Um, and they would rather just have kind of that lower standard of being able to point to the math, essentially, and say that, you know, this is unconstitutional because of, you know, how skewed it is without necessarily having to show specific intent, you know, by the legislature. Yeah, we saw some, I saw some of this in the court uh, challenge that I heard originally, um, you know, back over a week ago now. Um, the plaintiffs were making the case that, like, if you randomly drew these maps, they don't, the, these are outside of any random map drawing that you would do. That, you know, if you just told the algorithms to draw, you know, here's this bar of, uh, you know, long bar of possible outcomes. These are outside of that bar of uh, possible outcomes. And so they're pointing to the fact that uh, that it must show intent. Like there's there, there would be no way to draw these maps without the intent of skewing them toward Republicans. Um I thought it was pretty interesting. The Republican, the attorney for the Republican lawmakers, uh, was asked about, you know, well, how are these maps going to play? Oh, I, and I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it all depends on the national environment or this or that. Um, it's pretty interesting because, you know, lawmake outside people are pretty clear that they're going to, these are going to, to give Republicans a majority. Uh, you know, Virginia came up a lot saying, hey, Virginia just voted for Joe Biden, and then it turned around and elected a Republican governor. We have no idea how these maps are going to play out. It, what I found interesting is like how how much you're asking the the judges in this case to sort of suspend disbelief and, and say, you know, political people drew these political maps for a political result, but, you know, but they didn't do it with any political objective in mind is, is sort of the case that the Republicans are asking them to make or, or asking, asking the judges to believe. And it may be enough. I mean, uh, Stevenson, the Stevenson decision in 2002, I, which I learned a lot about over the last week says that that partisan advantage is something that can be considered uh, when drawing maps. Um, and, and I covered the case at the Supreme court where they said, we're not going to get into to partisan advantage uh, because if we do, we'll get every district in the entire country from Congress all the way down to dog catcher coming up to us saying these, these maps were drawn with a partisan advantage and we don't really have a good standard for what is a partisan advantage. And so this is a really murky area and and I'm not sure how you how you make a decision in it. It is really tough. And what we saw in 2019 when we had the ruling on the partisan gerrymander in, in state court 
um, as opposed to the the Supreme Court, you know, the Supreme Court said, okay, this is not an issue for federal courts, but then they kind of kicked it back down to the states and said, you know, y'all figure it out. Um, and so what the, uh, what the panel in that 2019 case said was that extreme partisan gerrymandering is unconstitutional. So just a, a normal amount of partisan advantages in the maps. Okay. We'll allow that. Like we kind of get the general idea that, you know, elections have consequences. If you win the election, you get to, you know, draw maps that'll favor your side. But if you really go overboard and are extreme about it, that's when it crosses the line. Of course, there's no really definition of extreme. It's just kind of a sniff test. Uh, <laughs> so well, that's, you know, that's judge crazy. Shirley mentioned the, the old pornography case in, uh, you know, the Supreme court where, you know, we, we have no standard, but we'll know it when we see it. And in a lot of ways, the, the plaintiffs in these cases are, are asking the judges to use that test. Like they don't have a great definition for what extreme partisan gerrymandering is either. They just say, we know it when we see it. And these, these maps clearly show extreme partisan gerrymander. Um, yeah. And, and so that, you know, it, it really is going to be, I mean, maybe it'll come down to the partisan leanings of, of all the judges involved, but uh, it really is hard to come up with what, you know, it, particularly looking at the congressional maps. It's These are a 10-4 map or possibly an 11-3 map. If they were a 9-6 map or a 9-4, uh, 9-5 map, would that be partisan, you know, extreme partisan gerrymandering? Are we talking about the difference in one seat or two seats? Um, the Republicans did concede that uh, no, no outside analysis has shown that Democrats would win a majority in the congressional delegation under these maps. That they've only shown nine, five, you know, ten, four, eleven, three. Um, but, but you know, it, it's really hard to establish what that line is for just regular partisan advantage versus extreme partisan gerrymandering. Exactly, and you know, we should note that there's obviously you know, three sets of maps, really kind of two levels. You have the congressional maps and then the state legislative maps. Um, you know, going back to what you mentioned a second ago earlier, Brian, the Republican argument that, you know, you don't know how the elections are going to go. Th that's not exactly true for the congressional maps. I mean, like you said, we have 14 congressional seats. 13 of them are going to be decided in the primary. There's basically one that's a toss up. Um, there could be a couple more that might be considered toss-ups in a really, really, really strong Democratic year. But in a normal year, there's only one seat that's a toss-up. at the state And so that's one of 14. In the state legislature, though, around one of five seats are considered competitive based on some of these outside analyses. You know, And again, that's only 20% of the seats. That's still a pretty small number of competitive seats. But, you know, one in five that could flip is a whole lot more than one in 14. Um, you know, so maybe there's, you know, some credence to that argument that, you know, like, Hey, you know, there's a decent chunk of seats here that, you know, could flip either way. Um, so we'll see. And, and the other thing is, I mean, I, you know, we know how those, we, we have a pretty good sense of how those maps may perform in 2022. Uh, these maps are supposed to last until 2030. Um, who's to say there's not, a, you know, a, a, a realignment of the, of the, of the demographics in the state or the political affiliations in the state. I mean, uh, you know, you could point to, and, and the Republican lawmakers did say that if you look at the map for 2012, when Mitt Romney was running against Barack Obama, it looks a lot different than the map in 2020 when Donald Trump was running against Joe Biden as evidence that there is some elasticity in, you know, in these maps and that they don't always give the outcome that you think they're going to give. Um, it, it's 
going to, I mean, lots of, for over 1,400 candidates filed in, in Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday before this was issued. Uh, kind of what happens to, to all of them? Everybody's in limbo at the moment. Yeah, I, you know, more time to hit the phones and raise some money, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, in some races that doesn't matter. Like most most candidates probably aren't going to really worry about it until early January. Now that the the primary is not until May, there are some super high profile races. The, the U.S. Senate race, for example, two more months could could play a role in what happens in that race. Yeah, well, and what I'm interested in too is you know this ruling from the Supreme Court delayed every election, not just the ones that are at stake in these redistricting lawsuits. And the judges didn't explain why they did, but I think it's safe to assume that, you know, there's kind of a general idea that it's just bad for voter turnout when you have multiple primary elections and it's, you know, people will show up to one, but not the other. So, you know, just kind of for the sake of better democracy, you want to have all the elections on one day. Well, And quite frankly, cost, right? It it costs money to put on primary elections if you have to do two, you know, if you have to do three instead of two, you know, it, it really does start to add up to, to cost to these local local election boards. Exactly. But, you know, I, I'd i be curious to see if, you know, there's some candidates who might file now a separate lawsuit of their own saying, you know, hey, I'm not part of this redistricting laws. My race isn't, you know, going to change no matter what. You know, some of these Senate candidates, for instance, or, you know, some of the like, you know, the town of Cary city council race that's going to get delayed maybe, you know, and, you know, so that's something that we'll be on the lookout for too. you know, see if maybe like the candidate, some of the candidates in the Senate race try to file like a go to federal court and file a lawsuit. there, trying to get there for I married move back to March. We've, we've written a lot in the last couple of months about all of the, the congressional races and where people are trying to run and Madison Cawthorn's decision not to run in 14 and to move to 13 and what that might maybe meant for, for Speaker of the House Tim Moore. Um, you know, we saw Renee Elmers say that she was going to run in, in four, former congresswoman. We've seen G.K. Butterfield decide not to run. Um, all of a sudden, those maps may be totally scrambled here in, in January or February and, and, let, let's just talk about that. The the eventual outcome of this is the, is these maps could be ruled constitutional. We could proceed under these these three maps that we've talked about. I suppose they could rule one map unconstitutional and, and the other two constitutional or some combination there, or or they could rule all three unconstitutional. In which case, what happens at that point? I mean, I think that's that's the end game everybody's looking at. If if these maps have to be redrawn, what happens? Well, that's another huge question. Um, in one of the lawsuits, you have the plaintiffs who have actually submitted their own maps, which would be, you know, according to the analyses that they provided in their lawsuit, either probably kind of a, a more or less even split or even a little skewed towards Democrats. You know, probably not too surprising that <laughs> Democrats might have Democratic skewed maps. Obviously, they wouldn't be quite as skewed to the left as the current maps are skewed to the right, but which you know, is almost could be a impossible. Left I mean, we, we should say it's almost impossible to gerrymander um, North Carolina, it, despite the fact that it's largely a 50 50 statewide state. Uh, it is a lot easier to gerrymander um, or to draw districts. So I'll leave out the word gerrymander. It's a lot easier to draw districts for a Republican advantage than it is to draw districts for a, a Democratic advantage, in large part because of, of where Democrats live and, and how concentrated they are in in several counties of the state exactly and republicans have made that point for years that the the way the state's geography is political geography is set up gives them a big advantage uh, but 
Yes, to your point, the the big question in in the case is, you know, if the Supreme Court does strike down these maps as unconstitutional, should they give the legislature a second chance and say, y'all go back and do these? Should they hire some sort of outside expert uh, like they've done in the past, a guy called a special master, which is a great title. Uh, you know, it's usually like just, you know, some political science pr- professor, uh, usually from another state um, who would come in and draw maps that are, you know, they're going to be, you know, discussed to see if they're fair or do they just take the maps that the plaintiffs in this lawsuit submitted, you know, and so those would kind of be the three options if the maps are thrown out. And obviously Republicans are going to want to have the chance to draw their own maps again, get a second chance at it. So that'll be a a big fight. I read through the lawsuits and it seemed that the law would indicate that that they would get two that the the legislature would get two weeks to, to remedy the maps. Um, before it might go to other things. I, I might be completely off on that, but it seemed like some of them suggested that, that it would go back to the state legislature for two weeks and they would have two weeks to, to draw new maps. Um, I think that would be the baseline assumption. I mean, you know, I suppose the Supreme Court could draw, you know, do whatever they want. Or, you know, if they say, okay, these remedy maps that the legislature just drew in the last two weeks are still bad. Right. And so, we're, you know, then they could choose not to accept them. And either go with the maps the plaintiff submitted or hire the outside expert or, uh, you know, who knows, draw them themselves. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we should wrap up. But I, th- these maps would be somewhat easy to, to remedy, quote unquote. I think if you – and I'm, again, I'm not, suggest, not suggesting they're partisan gerrymanders or anything like that. But if you look at the current maps, there, there is a map uh, – the current congressional maps um, – you could just put together, re-put together that seat around Greensboro, which is a Democratic seat. Um, and, and simply by doing that, m- maybe enough, you know, maybe you could change the split in, in, Ra- in Way County and m- maybe in Mecklenburg County. The, the, I guess my point is, if you look at these maps, they're not, they wouldn't require that much work, I think, to get them to a place where um, you, you, I think the court would have a tough time throwing them out. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we have an eight to five map now in favor of Republicans that you know has held up in court. Um, so would a nine to five map also hold up in court? Would they need to make it eight six? You know, the- right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, the Guilford County being split the way it is really is is one egregious area of the maps that if that were to be remedied or fixed, I think I think plaintiffs would have a really hard time saying these maps are totally skewed because they accepted eight, five maps last time. Um, and, and basically under, you know, if you, if you, if you change the Guilford situation, these maps will be very similar in a lot of ways to those maps um, that That's you've accepted. Point. So I, not a lawyer, not a judge, uh, not even a, a, a great map drawer uh, at all. So I, you know, take, take my advice here with a grain of salt. Um Will, I wish you a happy holidays to you and, and your family. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening to the to the Under the Dome podcast. We will be off the next two weeks. We will not have podcasts um, for the rest of the year, but we will be back on January 3rd, which is 
uh, not coincidentally, when the legislature will also be back. Um, and so I wish uh, for, for Brian Murphy and Will Doran and the rest of the team here at the News and Observer and NC Insider wishing uh, everyone a, a very Merry Christmas, a, a very Happy New Year. Uh, spend some time with your family, not thinking about politics, not thinking about maps, uh, not worrying about all this. And, uh, and we'll see you in the new year. Thanks for listening. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for her weekly political newsletter at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.